Well, today's Bible passage that we have in Luke 16 is made for TV as you begin to read the plot line that goes on with it. It's um, a scandal of epic proportions as you look at what goes on. It's one of those things that they could put in there and you wouldn't know until the end of the show how it all plays out and what happened to somebody if they wanted to set it up that way. But in Scripture today, we hear it as a parable. And as we hear it as a parable from Jesus, we know that it is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Right? So it's a story that we can relate to, but it's supposed to, supposed to help us understand who our Heavenly Father is and what He does for us. And so as we begin to dive into Luke chapter 16, we are confronted with the story of the dishonest manager. And it's right there in the heading as you get to this part of the chapter. And already when you hear that in front of the manager, when you hear that word dishonest, you already put him in a category, didn't you? You already know where your trust level is and is not with him. And you already know how people view him. There's another word that goes along with him today, and that's the word shrewd. And often as we hear the word shrewd, we put a negative connotation with it. Because often the people that when we talk about them and we use the word shrewd with them, usually in it's a negative sense. And usually in that negative sense, um, it's because we thought maybe we're going to get one thing and they operated in another way. Often uh, the word shrewd is used with a used car salesman, right? And you know the goal of a used car salesman is to get the most money that they can from you so that they can make the most profit. And so they're going to be very shrewd. But there's a difference between shrewd and dishonest, isn't there? Even though we use them sometimes together. And that difference of shrewd is, is part of that business sense of knowing that you have a commodity and knowing that you can sell it. And then in between, how much can you get for it? And where that shrewdness comes in is that utilization of business smarts and how you use that. Where that shrewdness comes in is that utilization of your charisma, your ability to woo somebody. Notice I didn't say to pull a fast one because that's where the dishonesty comes in. But in talking through what can you negotiate. Here where the dishonest part comes in is not in the action that the manager took to lower what was owed. Okay? I want you to think about that for a moment. Because he goes through and he lowers everything that is owed back to his boss, right? That's not the dishonest part. Because he was in charge of those accounts and he had every right to do with them what he wanted to do with them as he managed them. The management comes because he had been dishonest in other parts and that's why he's letting him go. So once he finds out why he's going, this is why in modern day America, when they can you, they give you your box and you pack up and go then. They don't wait for you to go. It's not a lingering thing. Because he had time on his hands to still manage the accounts. And in his shrewdness, in his shrewdness, he figured out a way to benefit himself and to be able to look at those funds so that way he might still manage through life. And so as he knows that he's going to be sacked, as he knows that he's going to be canned, he begins to work on a couple things and he goes to the people that owe his boss items and he lowers their accounts. And the reason this is a shrewd act is because he's taking what's available to him. 
He's negotiating the accounts so that when he gives the books to the manager, they'll be what they are and they'll be turned in and things will be settled up the way they're supposed to be settled up. But with those discounts, now he has gained friends, if you want to say. He's gained favor with a couple of people and he hopes that in gaining favor with them, that they are then going to look out for him when he is no longer employed. When he no longer has a place to stay. And that he can go with them. It's shrewd in how he operates. The business, he had not managed well, and he had been dishonest about it, and that's why he is fired. But in his firing, then he is shrewd. Why is that a big deal to note? Why is that a thing to think about? Well, I want you to put it in terms of this today. How do you get ahead in this world? What are the actions that you take to get ahead in the world? And, and what does that mean when you're trying to get ahead? Does that simply mean where you live? Does that simply mean your bank account? Does that simply mean your zip code? Does that simply mean... What, what does it mean to be able to get ahead? Does that mean that you're actually planned for retirement and you can actually live in retirement? Does that mean that your kids are all taken care of, that they're able to go to the college of their choice? What does it mean to be able to get ahead? Does that simply mean that you're able to pay each bill every month, that you're ahead of the game in that way? What does it mean to be able to get ahead, that you can go and pay cash for a car whenever you want to? What what does it mean to you when you think about that? So think of it for a moment in this world, what it means to get ahead. And you and I talk about that all the time in different places. We talk about how we're going to get ahead, what we're working on, what we're trying to accomplish. We talk about the job that we hold, the position that we have, the finances that we're working on. And we don't always talk about it in specific numbers with people, but we let them know what we're working on. We let them know what we're trying to go towards, what we're aiming for, what we have to deal with. You and I also communicate that in the burdens that we have from trying to get ahead, in the bills that we have to pay, in the maintenance that we have to keep. And the job that we have to go to. See, there's a lot that comes together in that package, isn't there? Of trying to get ahead. And all for what? What's the goal? Retirement at 65? Retirement by 70 these days? Retirement by 55, if so lucky. What's the goal? What is it that we equate it to of finally getting ahead in life? You and I talk about it in different terms all the time as we look at so many different things. We talk about it as we go through election cycles, whether a city, a county, a state, federal. We look at how we might get ahead depending on who's in leadership. We talk about it when we talk about our boss. We talk about it if we are the boss. We talk about it in so many different terms. So why do you think Jesus shared this parable Because two millennia ago, people were still talking about how to manage things and how to get ahead in life and how to take care of their day-to-day living. The conversation hasn't changed, right? The little things that we talk about. How life is going, how we're managing it all in the weather. But Jesus shares this parable... Because just like those so many years ago, we get distracted by the same things. 
He does not say to ignore what we are entrusted to take care of. But he does ask us where our focus is. He does ask us that which we're looking at and paying the most attention to and what we are setting a priority to. When I was 12 years old, I was incredibly excited because I actually got to have my first summer job. At age 12, I was excited to have my first summer job because I was a farm kid. So that meant I had chores to do and then I got to have a job on top of it. The chores were expected, the work was expected, but at age 12, I actually got to go and help somebody else and get to get paid for it. Dad knew exactly what he was doing because he knew that if I went and took a job that I'd be gone and I wouldn't be helping him as much then and that he would have more work to do. So Mr. Miller, who was the neighbor who lived a mile and a half away, had an opportunity to go work for him. What my dad knew about him growing up with him is that he was a shrewd business manager. And I was so excited that the work that he had hired me to do and that he said he would pay for it. And my dad was teaching me a lesson for those two days of work that I agreed to do. Because at age 12, guess what I forgot to negotiate? The pay. Dad knew I was about ready to learn, learn a lesson. And so I went over and I helped clean out chicken coops. And I helped fix sheep pens. Eight hours one day, eight hours the next day. I walked away with the crispest $5 bill you ever did see in your life. For 16 hours of work. When I got home and I told Dad, I said, that's not fair. He goes, did you agree to do the work? Yes, sir. Did you agree to what you were going to get paid? No, sir. Did you agree that you were going to get paid? Yes. He goes, I take the $5 and be happy about it. Because it could have been a quarter, it could have been a buck. And I continued on lamenting to my dad. I said, but dad, he goes, let me tell you about old Mr. Miller. He goes, your uncle and I cleaned out those same chicken coops. We walked away with a quarter for the day back in our day. My dad had set me up. All of a sudden, I became even more mad at my dad for not having told me. But dad wanted me to learn a lesson that I wasn't going to learn someplace else, that I needed to manage myself, that I needed to talk to somebody, that I needed to be able to figure out and ask some more questions, that I needed to know what was going on. And so in this parable, as Jesus is talking, he's talking to people that are so worried about their daily gain that they forgot to focus on what their eternal wealth is. They're so worried about their daily prosperity, but they have not looked at their eternal riches. Now, Jesus doesn't say don't plan for the day. He doesn't say don't go to work. He doesn't say to put away. He doesn't say not to save. Okay, it's not what he's saying. He's saying when you get so focused on only that, that you forget about the blessings that you've been given by your Heavenly Father, that you forget to focus on the things that are eternal. You, begin to, you forget to focus on what those wealth is and those riches are. But the challenge when you and I begin to look at eternal wealth and eternal riches, they don't add to the pocketbook, do they? They don't help us pay off the mortgage, do they? 
They don't help us open whatever envelope we open and get rid of it quicker, do they? And so you and I get bogged down by material things unexpectedly. And as we get bogged down by them unexpectedly, they begin to stack up. And as they stack up, we become fully focused on only them. And when we become fully focused on only them, all of a sudden then we forget what the bigger picture is. As Jesus talks about the dishonest manager acting shrewdly. As the manager quickly figures out where he's going to be able to lay his head at night. He figures out what his earthly gain will be. He figures out his provisions for the next days and few months. And Jesus asks, and how will he be handled? After he's stayed at those homes, what's the conversation about him in town going to be? After he's stayed at those people whose bills he's cut, where else is he going to be able to get a management position? After he stays at those people's homes, he already said that he didn't want to use a shovel because he was too weak and he was too proud to beg what is going to be left for him. He's got his moment, he'll have had it, and then it'll be done, won't it? And then where will he go? So what about you? How's your 401k look? How high does it have to go? How's the kids' college fund look? How's the grocery and gas bill for next month already weighing down on you? What's your day-to-day look like as you plan? And in the middle of all that planning, do you get so busy with it that you forget what God already planned for you? It's easy, isn't it, to get in the middle of the hustle and bustle, to get bogged down by the things that are weighted down, or to get distracted by the things that are good and well, to look at the prosperity that we have and to go spend time with it, to have time in that distraction, to rather than figure out what we need to know about God, rather than know about ourselves, and to figure out what we need to know about Him, and we'd rather be worried with those around us who also need to know about Him. The words are simple. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. What if God would have looked at what we owed him? What if he would have measured us? He would have found us wanting and lacking what needed to be given back. What if he looked at how we try to get ahead in this world and the times that we miss to walk with him? What if he would instead look at how we operate day to day rather than when we bow our heads and ask for forgiveness? What if he looked at our struggles and said, you know what, you're owed them, have fun in them by yourselves, rather than sending his spirit to us? What if he looked at a sinful, broken, and corrupt world and said they're getting just what they get? Because they've acted dishonestly and shrewdly with one another. 
What if he left us in the place of that manager in the parable that you and I, in the course of our days and our actions, get exactly what we deserve? But in the middle of it all, what does he do? He sends to us a Savior. He sends to us a Savior not to rub in our nose our shortcomings, not to rub in our nose our sins, not to rub it in our nose to sit there and look at us and say how terrible we are, but to look at us and say, I can help you with exactly what you need help with. I can give you grace and mercy where you cannot gain it for yourself. I can give you a peace which surpasses an understanding that you cannot find on your own. I can give you the gift of eternal life for which the wages of your sin you cannot pay on your own. And I can pay the price for you with the very blood of my son. And in his glorious resurrection and his victory, you will be able to celebrate it also. So I'll ask you this day, not in terms of wages, what you owe. But what are you hanging on to? What are you hanging on to against yourself? What are you hanging on to against somebody else? What is it that you look at the people around you and you want to judge them by the standard of this world and to find them lacking and wanting? And what will it gain you in terms of your days? Then I'll ask you this question. What do you already know that you need to be giving? What do you already have that is in abundance? What do you already have that if you give it away freely, it does not run out, it does not lack supply, and is still available to you tomorrow as it is today? And as it's given to somebody, they gain something that they could not earn for themselves. You and I live in a world that where tomorrow we'll still have a bill to pay. Where tomorrow something good may happen, something bad may happen, or both. In either in any direction. But what we have at all times and all places and that we count on as certainty is that gift of a Savior from our Heavenly Father. May this be your sure confidence this day, your certain hope today and tomorrow, and may you continue to share what you have been given so freely by him and give it freely to others. May you not count on blessings in this world to provide for you for all eternity, but may you see the gift given to you by your heavenly Father and your Savior, Jesus Christ, for who has won eternal life for you, that can never be taken, that can never be added, but is already given. May this be your sure hope and confidence this day and always. Amen.